0: The Commission, Uncle Paulie, B. Diddy. We have to protect and build our steel and aluminum industries while at the same time showing great flexibility and cooperation toward those that are really friends of ours, both on a trade basis and a military basis. A strong steel and aluminum industry are vital to our national security, absolutely vital. Our industries have been targeted for years and years, decades, in fact, by unfair foreign trade practices leading to the shuttered plants and mills, the laying off of millions of workers, and the decimation of entire communities. And that's going to stop. This is not merely an economic disaster, but it's a security disaster. We want to build our ships, we want to build our planes, we want to build our military equipment with steel, with aluminum from our country. Today, I'm defending America's national security by placing tariffs on foreign imports of steel and aluminum. We will have a 25% tariff on foreign steel and a 10% tariff on foreign aluminum when the product comes across our borders. It's a process called dumping, and they dumped more than at any time, on any nation, anywhere in the world.
1: You are listening to What in the World right here on WERA LP Arlington, Virginia? I am your host, Fumia Kinesotu, and we are back for yet another conversation that's been percolating in the airwaves. And that is this ever impending idea of a trade war between the United States and everybody, everybody and their mama. Everybody's beefing. We don't know why. Well, We kind of know why, but we don't know no why. So Tamar is going to break this down. And so we can actually understand what the beef is about. Tamar, thank you so much for being here. Tamar is an international trade attorney, uh, legislative policy expert and economic development consultant. She's got lots and lots of experience working on issues related to trade at our wonderful friends over there in Congress. She's passionate about helping small and medium-sized businesses get their goods exported to other countries. So she's kind of our trade whisperer. Can we call you that?
2: I'll take it. Okay. I'll take it.
1: <laughs> Tamar, welcome. Uh, and thank you so much for helping us break down what this trade
2: war is about and and what it all means for us here in America. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show, Boomi. I've been watching its growth and I'm excited to be here thank and explain something that I really enjoy and really gets me going so so Tamar um you have an interesting
1: background uh, you have a JD you've got all the degrees um you've worked on trade tell us a little bit how you got to this space of of trade and and development and
2: just what what what's your path been thank you um I guess it's a little unconventional. Uh, I didn't take a traditional path. I went to law school thinking that I was going to get into human rights law, save the world, (laughs) stop human trafficking. So I chose the law school I went to. I did a human rights law program, a certificate program in Johannesburg, South Africa, with full train ahead with that in mind. And the more I looked into human rights law and um, human rights abuses, I felt that people were susceptible to these types of things, in part because of their economic situation. Mm. They become prime targets for all kinds of abuses. And I started, I think, in law school midway through making a pivot. It also helped, um, for me at least, in finding this new passion that the economy was tanking. And we were going about to go into the Great Recession. So I think that those things coupled with, when I look back, I may have had seeds planted along the way. My grandmother, who would have been 87 today. um, Happy birthday, grandma. Heavenly birthday. Yes. Happy heavenly birthday, grandma. Um, She was a merchant and she traveled mostly in the Caribbean buying and selling goods. Mm. Then I think to my time in law school and I put those two things together and I realized that maybe she had a sixth grade education, her passion and her commitment to Finding her economic sovereignty and being able to support her family Mm -hmm. and traveling and and dealing with laws, import laws, export laws of all of these countries. It has always been there. And I think that that pivot in law school kind of cemented me on this trajectory. And so did you have conversations with your grandmother just about
1: the world of trade like I, I like we do in our family at home in in Rhode Island, my Nigerian family. We sit there and we talk about crazy presidents who ruled Nigeria and the, the damned UN and all these other <laughs> institutions. Did, did you all have
2: like trade conversations at home? I wouldn't call them trade conversations, but I did spend a lot of time, you know, sitting at the foot of the elderly and, and my grandmother included, asking about those types of experiences and about her time as a merchant and how she decided to do that. And, and you know, she's, we're from a small town. Even today, most people will not have the luxury of running water or electricity. Mm-hmm. Like, what, today, what town is that? Uh, Jean Abel, Haiti. And this, Young lady with a sixth grade education from this super small town. Where did you come up with this idea of going to other countries and buying goods and coming back and selling them here, or taking goods from Haiti and selling them in these other countries? So we've talked about that, and she just felt that it was her opportunity to yeah. to to help support her family. So that I think that that in a lot of ways is a driving force behind my interest in trade and obviously now it's you know topic du jour so <laughs> yeah, yeah. it keeps me busy and 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 fully entertained.
1: I'm sure your grandmother is looking down and is she's extremely proud of you and she's probably looking down shaking her head at the same time too like this world my granddaughter has inherited is quite interesting but I trust you're going to help us walk through this uh, world that we're in. <laughs> I hope to I hope to
2: I hope that my uh, I, I did get a master's of law after law school when I made the pivot in international business yeah. through the National University of Singapore and then all of our coursework was in Shanghai. So nice. I've been having this conversation <laughs> for almost a decade now. Okay. So Long you, before it was um, a sexy thing. and a thing. <laughs> Long before the war. Yes. And so you've you've
1: <laughs> been in Shanghai. So uh, you've lived there uh, and you've done business there. So I'm excited to hear about your Shanghai Chinese stories <laughs> considering they're the center of this uh, this
2: war. So my <laughs> Shanghai time, I was a student and a broke student at that. So my perspective was from a foreigner in a strange land and trying to navigate that and understand and, and better understand the Chinese laws and the Chinese um, principles that motivate those laws and, and how it interacts with other countries, including the United States. So... From my time living in China, almost two years, it was from that perspective, it was a student perspective. And I think that it helped shape and allowed me to better understand, now having come back, Mm -hmm. when we do certain things, the ripple effects and the Mm -hmm. things that people don't think about that are related to trade To trade or how it affects our everyday lives. Yeah,
1: let's get into that. Because it's going to be a fun conversation. So let's just talk about some basic trade concepts for people who have been following this show uh, since since what? July when we when we launched almost a year, almost a year. So exciting. So exciting. So here we are and we are beefing with China, but really like kind of everybody. But really, China is the center of this. So let's take it a step back and just talk about something. Just review very quickly some of these uh, these terms that we keep hearing
2: about. In the news. The first thing is, what is a tariff? A tariff is like a tax on goods that are being imported into okay. your country. But I think that we should go back a little bit further oh, to okay. understand a from a historical context how we got here. Like, what is trade? So, yep. before you can get to the tariff, like, what is trade? What how, is trade? Trade is why the, do we do it? Why do we do it? So, <laughs> I think that you want to go back to the GATT, which is the General Agreement on mm-hmm. Tariffs and Trade. And that was formed coming out of the Great Depression in the middle of or tail end of World War II. Here we are with this agreement, and it was based on the belief, so I won't get into the details of the actual agreement, but it was based on the belief that if countries are interacting together Mm -hmm. and working together Mm -hmm. and trading together, they're less likely to go to war. So if I need to buy coal from you in order to keep my houses warm, and you need to buy aluminum from me in order to make your cars or washing machines or whatever we're going to work together and right. we're less likely because of this ongoing this interdependent relationship we're going to be less likely to go to war and so that was brilliant they created this agreement who's the they for the united states the the major economies in the at world at the time mm-hmm. get together create the GATT. The GATT then becomes the guiding principle on how countries interact, Mm -hmm. and it becomes the guiding principle on multilateral agreements like CAFTA, NAFTA, and also bilateral agreements between one country and another country. So two countries are bilateral, multiple countries are multilateral, and the guiding principles from the GATT helped create Mm -hmm. those types of agreements, not NAFTA specifically, and I'll tell you why. Because at some point, it became necessary to not just not go to war, Global economies are growing. The global GDP is increasing exponentially every year. So people now want, how do we capitalize on this? How do we do better than just not go to war? How do we increase our relationship so that we're all making more money and that we're all buying the things that we want and having a better life. Right. I'm guessing also this sort of leads to this idea
1: of like development for countries in the global south. Right. So you have countries in the Caribbean and in Africa and Latin America who have, you know, seen fluctuations in their economy. But for the most part, they're sort of coming up through Uh, The Times in the 80s and the 90s, they're growing. We see we saw Brazil grow. We see a lot like Argentina. Like you see all these countries growing
2: and they also want to be on this world stage trading their bananas with the United States. I'm going to stop you and take you right before they grow. The reason they grow is that we shifted from the GATT and moved to the WTO, the World Trade World Trade Organization. Right. So because we are no longer in survival mode or or. Making policies based on fear of not going to war. Uh, now we're looking for investment. Uh, now we're looking for growth. Mm-hmm. Now we're looking for interconnectedness, inclusivity. We're looking for ev- everybody come to right, the table. Right? Yeah. How, P- how, P- how, P- everybody. <laughs> like, how do we make this work? I want to trade with Brazil. I want to trade with China. I want to trade with the Caribbean. I want to trade with multiple countries. I want to trade with you know individual countries right. because. Countries have competitive advantage. So there are some countries that are naturally able to produce a product cheaper right. than another country. Right. So if country A produces something great and country B produces it so-so, country B is going to want to buy it from A and sell to country A right. the things that they're great at producing. Right. So right. everybody comes to the table. So I just wanted to go back a little bit. In, I appreciate in the the spirit behind these types of policies that that make our trade interactions i so, appreciate that so 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 let's go to another topic which yep. sort of gets to this
1: this framing this wonderful framing you've given us which is the idea of a trade deficit right so president trump has said that we're in a trade deficit we need reciprocity in our trade agreement. there's a stat that as of last year the united states has a 375 billion dollar trade deficit you can't see my air quotes trade deficit with china which is apparently the largest just on record right and it's being framed as a horrible thing so what is a trade deficit versus say a surplus and and you know, to your maybe you can use your example. If I have something and you have something, you know, there's a benefit for us working together. Maybe you can use that sort of an example to explain what a trade deficit is.
2: We talked a little bit about a tariff, which is a duty or a tax, mm-hmm. which is a term most people are mo- most accustomed with, to be paid on things that you're importing. So if you want to bring something into my country, I'm going to add a tariff on it for a number of reasons. A trade deficit is created when you import more than you ex. Some people don't. Understand what import and export means. They sound like these big, woo, scary terms. But if you think of it like a checkbook, the United States and every country has their checkbook and they have to balance their check. And in order for it to be balanced, we're going to import and export about the same. But it's not just what comes in and what goes out. You also include things like foreign investments into the country, payments that are paid to foreigners. And I I guess we could do um, also foreign aid that play a factor in the formula of how your ledger is made and and how your balance sheet looks and your checkbook, whether or not it balances out. So to get a trade deficit, it means we've imported so much from China compared to what we're exporting to China. And this is in the most simplistic terms that we now have a deficit to China. Which, again, on the surface makes it sound like a, a very horrible thing. There are so many things that are interconnected. If you think about foreign investments, if you think about foreign aid to those countries, they play a factor in trade deficit. Yeah. And whether or not we have a surplus, which is the opposite, where we export more than we import. Than we import. So when you think about all of those other factors, you want to consider the total value of the imports versus the exports, but you also want to consider the value of money. And in this bigger trade world, war conversation people are are some people are referring to that china was a currency manipulator and what they would do is if they imported too much then they would lower or raise the value of their money so that it's tied and would affect whether or not they have a surplus or a deficit so what would be like a basic example so i'm going to use a t-shirt perfect Yeah. We have lots of t shirts in America. So (laughs) if China's importing t shirts and the cost of the t-shirt is five yuan and five yuan is equal to one US dollar. Okay. Just to make the math easy. So they're importing the t shirts each one at one US dollar. They import a hundred of them. They spent the value of a hundred US dollars. Right. Then they import five thousand, but the because of inflation, because the US dollar went down, because or the Chinese dollar went up, they're because of other factors not dealing with the specific t-shirt, the value of the t-shirt is now less. Is less. They pegged their um, they would peg their currency to certain factors to keep it at the same. Mm. So it would stay five yuan to one US dollar and one US dollar is equal to one t-shirt. Okay. And when they're when things would Fluctuated where the Chinese dollar would go up and the U.S. dollar would go down because they have we have a deficit to them. They now have less money; less like it's money. worth less. Right. It's worth less. So in order to protect our interests, we want to keep the f- the formula even, even as to what it was. It's right. like you go to a, you visit another country and you take your 100 U.S. dollars and you exchange it for the local currency. What's the currency in Nigeria? Naira. Naira. So <laughs> you know one you 100 U.S. dollars and then let's say you get 500 naira and then midway through your trip you know the u.s economy crashes knocking on wood that nope, that doesn't happen it's not gonna happen <laughs> it's not gonna happen and then you know now it's costing you money More you money, need to right. spend 200 u.s dollars right in order to get the equivalent number of naira right right so all of those play a factor in our trade relationship so it's disingenuous when people have the conversation and and, and want to peg it on something specific, like right. what's, you know, the topic du jour, steel and aluminum right. in China, right. coming from China.
1: Right. Well, let's jump right into the to the war and, and what what happened. So <laughs> <laughs> so back in March, the administration announced that it would impose basically what amounted to about one hundred fifty billion dollars in Taxes or tariffs on steel and aluminum products. Initially, it was on all of our trading partners, who are also our friends, like Canada, Mexico, U- the European Union, South Korea. So the, the the formula breakdown was that like there would be a 25% of foreign-made uh, steel and 10% uh, for aluminum. Those were the tariff the tariff levels, right? Um, and and then I later learned that that China comprises of that like total like six percent or something like China's our imports from t- China. China actually lower, which then imposes this tariff on our friends, which is weird, but It's marketing,
2: it's branding, it's messaging. So the imports of aluminum and steel from China don't amount to what we're being told. And when you think about, let's take a pencil, right? A pencil has wood, it has graphite, it has metal, it has rubber, Let's say you have to get that from three or four or five different places in order and the technology to create the pencil. You put all of those things together in order to get the pencil and then to sell it and export it. So if the metal that holds the wood and the rubber eraser part together is coming from let's say it's aluminum coming from China, the percentage of of the pencil is three percent or five percent. It's unfair to peg the entire relationship. Of this pencil on just that one metal part, and I know that this administration is using the the national security angle for this metal. And what that says is we're importing so much of this metal, aluminum and steel, is used to make tanks, everything, everything, guns, <laughs> ammunition. It's on our phones. It's that if your we, fancy bag over there in the corner, <laughs> <laughs> my bag. <laughs> if we're using, if we're importing all of this we're dependent on other people. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we won't be able to protect ourselves. It's a stretch. It's also a stretch to say that, you know, this 3% pencils are now exorbitant and we need to add this tariff. And the tariff is only a small part of the entire relationship because as has been seen, the Chinese said okay, no problem. <laughs> you and and it's strategic. It's it's chess, not checkers. You want to tax steel and aluminum coming from my country? We have a huge relationship. That includes technology, that includes vegetables. Vegetables, agriculture. agriculture that also includes the intellectual property to manage those relationships, the machines where we're collecting those things, the processes with which we do things. So all of this falls in our trade portfolio and in our trade relationship. So you want to cherry pick these steel and aluminum <laughs> right. imports into your country that are being exported out of our country, no problem. Where are your supporters? Oh, they're in Iowa. Oh. That's where that's that's, <laughs> that's where, where we're gonna, going. That's po- where we're going to hurt. What do they farm in Iowa? What are they producing in Iowa? Yikes. Because those are the people we want to hurt. And, you know, it's unfortunate to use those types of terms. But with trade, there is winners and losers. Mm -hmm. And the people who lose, it's hard to say, thanks, guys, you took one for the team. It's hard to say, thank you, because now with this global economy as a world, we're better off. But your industry shut down because of trade and moved somewhere else. So finding the balance where You can protect local industries without being a protectionist to the detriment of other relationships, but also participating in this global economy that was created beginning with the GATT and then with the, you know, continuing with the WTO. So we can't completely shut our doors cuz we signed agreements and we can try and pull out of them but they're not so simple. Right. We can't just say okay we're not going to do it or because he gives he as in the president of the United States gives a colorful speech and says I'm out of here, I'm taking my ball and going home, the rest of the world is like that's really funny because you know they're it's it's a phased thing right. and you're taking what ball? What are you talking
3: about? <laughs> yeah.
2: In fact, the ball, we created it way back, like <laughs> during exactly. World War II. <laughs> <laughs> you, can't, you can't just pull out of the WTO, we, you know, the World Trade Organization, it just doesn't work that way because you're gonna unravel a lot of things and hurting people. So the example I gave, going back to the pencil, you're getting the wood from the United States, you're getting the graphite from Mexico, you're getting the rubber from, uh, you know, Canada, Canada. you're getting the, the aluminum from China. So when you decide that, you know, we're taking our ball, we're gonna make our own pencils, cutting everybody off, you're affecting all of those people that you have not just... The pencil relationship with right. you have washing machine relationships, <laughs> right. car relationships, right. airplane relationships, right. all kinds of other types of relationships that are directly affected by that decision. And then you have other relationships that you don't think about. You have relationships that use the aluminum as part of building something else, and then the finished product is gonna come to the United States. Mm. So the German car that's importing aluminum from China to then import it it to, to to the United States, to export it to the United States, now goes up and has an effect on the German economy because right. of the the change, the change and fluctuation worldwide. Right, which, which
1: actually um, I read some things from the car manufacturing industry as of late which they're all sort of nervous because, as you said, they sort of see the bigger picture and that the the parts of a car come from many, 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 many different countries, right? And I love the line. uh, I'm not going to quote it verbatim, but it was uh, someone from Ford who was like, ultimately, it's the consumer who pays. So if you're going to increase your tariff uh, and we're going to sort of muddle the waters on all of these agreements, just understand that the American consumer is the one who's going to foot the bill. Right. And the car industry is already suffering. Uh, I guess in the uh, last year, they they experienced a 2% reduction in sales. Nationwide, the car industry is like, we're suffering already. So if we have to increase our prices, imagine what that's going to do for car
2: sales in the next year. I'm so glad that you use that example. So the automobile industry is a, Peculiar one in that so for example in order for automobiles to get into the Chinese market they had to agree to China's protectionist um, regulations China just entering the market they in the early 2000s maybe 2001 entered uh, applied to enter the WTO so they said look you guys are ages ahead of us in order for us to compete in order for us not to have to go through all of the layers of education and trial and error and to get on par, you need to allow us a, a margin of um, protectionism and allow some regulation where we can benefit from at least basic technologies and information.
1: This is China, basically This is China. We need to catch up.
2: We need to catch up and you have to help us catch up and you need to protect us so that we can catch up and allow us to protect our local industry to catch up. Because if we open it, if we open our automobile market to our billion dollar consumer market, your Ford, your BMW, your Mercedes are going to come and the Chinese local vehicle or or car manufacturer will suffer because there's no way to compete compete. Mm -hmm. at all. So in order to open up a dealership and and, and manufacture your cars in China, you have to partner with a local Ah. uh, car manufacturer. And you can have a maximum of two local entities and combined You can't have more than, I think, 50 percent ownership. So you can have 50 percent and then each person have like 25 or however Mm. you negotiate that out. But the point is that the
1: Chinese need to be involved. They have to own it.
2: They have to own it. They have to be half of it. Part ownership. (laughs) Yeah. You have to have part Chinese ownership of your car dealership, of your car manufacturing company in China in order to be here. And if you you don't want to play by these rules, you don't have to come. But you see these billion people here. They all want cars. They're now gaining expendable income. They now have money in their pocket. They're now consumers in the global sense. They're seeing things on TV. They're going to want those cars. So you, you want to play in this market right here? You're going to have to let Chinese companies be able to sit at the table and understand. Mm. This was supposed to continue for, I, I can't remember the year off the top of my head, but it's being ended early. And I will tell you and your listeners that the truth about the trade war is it comes down to technology. Not technology as in Google, Facebook, Apple technology or Silicon Valley, but the intellectual property technology, the the thought that goes into innovation and creation. The Chinese are notorious for copying. No. You get the best. Yeah, I know. Secret. What are you, talking about? <laughs> you get the best knockoff. So they they know how to knock off a lot of things. And the use of Chinese companies, Chinese employees, lends itself to people stealing your ideas that you should have exclusive or at least nearly exclusive for a period of time use of. So all of this, this trade war, the steel tariffs, aluminum tariffs, go back to the fear that or the disappointment in Chinese protecting intellectual property rights. Hmm. If the Chinese had stronger intellectual property rights, then we would be less afraid of bringing our businesses there. And we, you know, we wouldn't care what your protectionist rules are because you're going to protect my right to exclusively use this technology and this information and this system that I created for five years, for 10 years, so that I can gain the maximum benefit of my idea. Right, right. So this
1: is all just about protecting ideas. Yes. Particularly because we're in the United States. That's my argument States. at
2: least. That's, 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 that's
1: Tamar's <laughs> take. We're calling it Tamar's take. I'm just going to have a segment of every show. tomorrow. what's your take?
2: <laughs> the need for everybody to play fair, do what we say we're going to do, and in, in this case, as it relates to the Chinese, protect people's intellectual property rights and their ideas mm-hmm. so that they can Continue to make great ideas because if you're going to steal it, then I don't want to share it with you. I don't want to play on your team. I don't want to play in in the game with you.
1: Well, doesn't the WTO have standards around intellectual property that everyone is supposed to be playing by the rules? About? They do.
2: They do. But they also come down to local rules. Uh-huh. Right. So. There are limits to how much of your local rules can play a part in how you make your trade decisions. Right. I'll I'll use um there was an example I read recently about beef. So I I, I know that you <laughs> started the segment on what's the beef. What's the beef? So the United States genetically modifies things to increase production, to make it more efficient. And there are local rules in Europe, for example, that doesn't allow GMO right. genetically right. modified Beef or other um, types of foods and things like that. And the United States went to the WTO and said it's not fair. They won't let us sell. It's like going to the principal's office or going to mommy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They won't they let. Won't let, let me, they, <laughs> they won't let me sell my GMO That's beef in their country, even though we're all, you know, on this team. Or we're, we all agreed to play this game, and now they won't let me sell my GMO. And the European argument is uh, no, because we don't believe in this stuff. We think that you're, you know, Franken food. You know, y'all keep that over there. That's why you guys have all of these, you know, weird diseases and people are dying. We don't want Franken food. We want, you know, if you want to sell us beef, give us some, you know, good, beef. Re- regular beef, and we'll let you sell it. But we don't want the GMO. The WTO agreed with the United States. If we allow all the local policies to affect the main agreement that we're going to trade together, work together, play together, then people are just going to make up all these random right. things, which is why the Chinese with going back to the car was only allowed to make that type of protectionist um policy for a short period of time right with a specified period of time give us time to catch up then we'll we'll you know phase we'll, it out we'll you know we'll um, follow the rules like we'll follow else. the rules like everybody else once we get to you know some basic understanding or or another great example if you don't mind yeah i'd like to talk about is haiti so the which you used to work for, you used I, to work for that the embassy. Is true. Of I Haiti. did work for the embassy of Haiti, but more importantly, <laughs> I'm Haitian American, <laughs> um, first it, generation. Facts. Yes, faxe. Napolé. <laughs> <laughs> so, um when you have strong local rules, you prevent destructions of your local business mm-hmm. and, and your local industry. And and that was the reason, so it, it, there, there has to be a balance. There has to be a balance where you get to protect your local industries and play fairly with all the other countries. And, and that's where the WTO plays the mommy, principal, referee, Perry, referee yeah. role. <laughs> yeah. So in the 90s, the US started subsidizing rice. So you may have heard, and sometimes it gets thrown around, anti-dumping, countervailing duties. Yeah those kinds of words and it's like what do they mean so dumping is the act of selling your product in a country lower than you sell it at home yep so with dumping you want to sell it in my house i'm going to have to add a a duty an anti-dumping duty to it because you're you're coming to sell it for a dollar where at home you actually sell it for ten dollars so you're coming to country A and you want to sell your rice for $1, but back home, you're selling that exact same rice for the equivalent of $10 right. within my economy. So you're going to at be at an unfair advantage because poorer people or the vast majority of people are always looking for a sale and a deal. Right. They're not going to pay right. the all of the rice and make a decision based on the quality of rice on the taste of the rice they're going to make an economic decision because wow this ten dollar rice all of the rice is within nine to twelve dollars and then you have this two dollar rice that's sitting (laughs) like i'm taking the two dollar rice yes so you know it's it's an unfair advantage and it's going to kill my local industry because they can't compete because um, the local industry might be selling that rice for like actually like $10. 9 to $12. Right, right, So you undercut the local, the industry. local guy. The, the reason thou. I bring them up is because what's not part of the larger trade conversation is also our foreign aid. And a package of our foreign aid also includes these types of things. So in foreign aid, at some point, because the U.S. was subsidizing all of this rice... We ended up with a surplus of rice. I'm like, what do we do with all this rice? Oh, we have poor people around the world. Let's go feed them this rice. The local industry can't compete with free. Right. So you take all of this. So it's not dumping in the trade, financial, legal perspective, but it's still dumping in that you dumped all of your rice in Haiti and annihilated the Haitian rice industry. right, Completely annihilated it. And, you know, although I was an appointee, In 2016, the Obama administration wanted to do something very similar with peanuts and wanted to send all the surplus of peanuts to Haiti. The peanut industry is one of the few industries still thriving and and, and doing well in Haiti. Having learned the lesson of the 90s and the complete annihilation of the rice industry, they said no and they pushed back. Haiti said no. Haiti said no and pushed back. And communities and people who monitor these things and do food security type of, you know, agri relationships pushed back. And were no, because there are very few surviving and thriving mm. industries in Haiti. And if you send these peanuts, yes, you have a surplus and you don't want it to go to waste because yeah. people could turn it into peanut butter, which is very nutritious food. Mm-hmm. And. It would solve a lot of food insecurity types of issues, but it would also kill all the local business. Right. So when you think of trade, you it's it's so far reaching because it includes foreign aid. It includes direct relationships like I'm giving you money in exchange for your medal. You're giving me money in exchange for my T-shirts. You have those kinds of relationships. And then you have the interconnected relationships between other countries and the parts that they're like a car that they're getting from everywhere in order to come and resell you the finished product. That includes pieces from so many places. Right, right. So let's let's bring this home for a second. You have taken us to Haiti. Appreciate that.
1: <laughs> Beautiful let's, place. Come back. Let's yeah. I will. I will. <laughs> I've never been to Haiti, but I've been to the Dominican Republic. Um, that's another conversation. That is but another that's conversation. A whole <laughs> other conversation. Um, let's let's bring this to the United States for a minute now. So if you're in, say, um, let's pick Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, you're in Tennessee, and you're looking at this situation, this trade war, and you're like, yeah, we have gonna shut down this these Chinese. Businessmen and women stealing our ideas, using, as the president says, unfair technology, manipulating currency, even though we kind of still don't know exactly what that means. But it just sounds wrong. Right. Let's given what you've talked to us about, if you're out there in Tennessee, like how why does this matter? Like uh, how, do, how how does what's happening out there in China or Brazil or Mexico or Canada? Right. With regard to trade, like how does that actually impact us here in the United States if you're in Tennessee, aside from all the fancy terms that we've been hearing.
2: It impacts you because there's nothing that goes on in your life that isn't directly connected to trade. Oh wait, let me look at this lip gloss. Let me see. Where was my lip gloss made?
1: My lip gloss was made in
2: Barcelona, Spain. Nothing, nothing that you interact with, touch, doesn't have some component of international trade. The food that you're eating, Most people don't look at the little sticker on their avocados, their oranges, their bananas, their plantains, their rice, their seafood, their whatever. A lot of it's coming from other places. The materials to build your house, the materials to build your car, the car in and of itself once it's completed, the technology and the ideas to create those things. So because we all bought in, we bought the Kool-Aid, the world bought the (laughs) Kool-Aid, we're all part of the WTO, we're all... In this trade thing together, the people who are scared of the tariffs on aluminum are really the Europeans, because so much of it comes through them. They they import to us so much more. So yes, the conversation that is sexy for Middle America and and um, Trump supporters and I, you know, the people who are in favor of sticking it to the Chinese and sticking it to the man. Aren't looking at the bigger picture. They're looking at their isolated rhetoric talking points right you know the chinese manipulate currency they stole all of our jobs the mexico uh, mexicans are rapists and they don't they're they're only coming here to harm our people but that's not true mexicans come here for tourism mm-hmm. mexicans are exporting to the united states a large number of avocados avocados <laughs> and tequila <laughs> and you know i mean cinco de mayo is what on saturday yes. like
1: Think a of lo- Mexico folks when you're out there on saturday <laughs> in these
2: streets So the relationship is so much bigger than just aluminum, just a tariff, because the tariff itself is such a small part because it's it's a tax on a specific item. Mm -hmm. But then you retaliate with, okay, we're going to tax your beef. We're going to tax your soybeans. We're going to tax your we we buy most of your soybeans here in China. Okay, no problem. We're going to (laughs) tax your soybeans. We're going to tax, you know, the things that you're sending our way. So,
1: Madam Trade Whisperer, <laughs> I'll the, take it. I'll take it. What's the solution? How do we how do we come out of this? Because because just recently, actually, the, the president did pull back um, just for a, a month for, for a month. <laughs> he delayed uh, the, the, the imposition of the taxes for, for another another month to, mm-hmm. to reassess, um, give people time to think. Right. So um, you're the president. What is the what? what how what's the, how do we solve this if come June 1st? We we changed. still have a we fear have of have national fear.
2: security. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't be the president <laughs> <laughs> in that position because I wouldn't have created this situation. It's hard to say because there there's so many ripple effects, many that are unknown if the exemptions are let to expire, and um, even even which is why I call this branding, marketing, and you know PR stunt. But he announces these tariffs and then makes like a gazillion yes i'm going to make up a, a number <laughs> a gazillion exceptions to it so it it then waters it down to almost no so almost effect. Nothing.
1: So it's like we're just there's this intangible benefit that I think is in fact is as you've nicely articulated that is in fact less left out of the conversation. Right. right. The intangible benefits of trade that we, we just don't hear about but our our knowledge our culture our expertise our our, our lovely plantain and avocados thank you Mexico. <laughs> um, um, I mean even down to Chinese food we talk about the Chinese but the Chinese first of all have a long history here in the United States just as Chinese Americans but but the I, the Chinese culture is is uniquely American culture in a lot of ways, right? Yeah, you go down the street here in Washington D.C. and you go to any Chinese restaurant and you can get you some mambo sauce, or we
2: have Chinatown, or we
1: have Chinatowns located all over
2: all over the country. So and and it's not just. A benefit, but it it also is part of trade and people. It's mm. I think it comes down to language yeah. and how we language it. So people don't think of trade, but tourism is trade. You're trading your hotels and your restaurants and your museums. Come to my country. I want you to bring me your money, right? In exchange for a good time, right? In exchange for knowledge Not or knowledge. an experience. You go to that
1: Great Wall tour. You're learning about the Great Wall,
2: right? Or the experience, or you know, some people do it for the likes, do it for the gram. <laughs> 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 you go you you walk the great wall and you're you know, whatever whatever your motivation is, mm-hmm. bring me the money and you can have this experience, experience, this opportunity. Yeah. So and and there's also domestic trade, you know, from one country to the next. You see advertisements, you know, visit California, visit Florida, right. visit New York. Right. All of that is trade. So it sounds like this big unknown scary thing but we all trade every day right. we we trade with our siblings we do it more like barter like hey let me borrow this shirt <laughs> well, I'll let you borrow this well, or these borrow. jeans but all of it all of it is trade <laughs> and when you extrapolate it out to countries that's what people think of but we're all traders and and we've all been doing trade even though we don't call it yeah So
1: let's summarize Tamar's take on this trade war. One that. One, it's not a war. It's not a (laughs) war yet. It's not a war. It's a marketing ploy to basically make people sort of nervous. The trade war matters because it's in everything that we do here in America, it's in everything that we eat, sleep on, wear everything that we touch right. in America. So we can't ignore the reality that when I look at my lip gloss, it says that it's made in Barcelona, Spain. Thanks, Revlon. If you'd like to sponsor the show, let me know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, that, and that, frankly, from a historical perspective, the United States and many other developed countries have signed on to agreements through the GATT, uh, through the World Trade Organization. Other international standards have been set long before um, today, uh, that really try to encourage uh, trade between countries, fair trade as much as we can between countries, make sure everybody has sort of the opportunity to exchange with one another. And when we violate these norms or standards or these agreements that we've set up, we've sort of set a, a, a nasty precedent, right, for behavior. Um, and it has a ripple effect on others, like you've mentioned, uh, those our friends in, the, in Europe and in the European Union who are going to be most affected by this by this tariff is that summary Yes, that that, that more about or less stuff. yes what we've talked about
2: that that about sums it up. <laughs> Thank you
1: so much, Tamar. This was so helpful. It is a very complicated issue, and 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 we could keep going and going and going. And we didn't we can't. But hopefully, our listeners have a better sense of just what this thing is about, um, and just what it, what it, what are these terms? What do they mean? If there's anything you've taken from the show, you've learned at least learned that it's a, a broader concept than just the trade deficit. There are actually other pieces. And don't be
2: intimidated by the words. You know, Google. is your friend google is your friend and the concepts when you take them down to an everyday perspective like using the pencil or your lip gloss or a car or the avocado as example it's easier smaller sizable morsels right but that that is just the goods portion of it yeah you have the services, you have the intellectual property, yes. you have the intangible, you the, know, knowledge. the knowledge, but also the tourism and mm-hmm. the cultural exchanges. And all of that are results of trade of and trade. part of a larger trade relationship and focusing on a good to, to reduce your entire relationship down to the exchange of a good. Does the entire umbrella a disservice? A disservice. All right. So. Make sure you check out
1: our other episodes at www. What in the world Podcast.com. you can hear all of the other shows uh, related to trade and just like the international standards we've been talking about ambassador Ruben Brigitte in our very first episode talked about these rules of the road and that's a, an episode to go back to if you just want to just learn those basic rules like what are those why do we adhere to certain rules go back to that episode it's the very first one can't miss it and and have a listen um I encourage you to follow us on social media what in the world podcast um, on Facebook and on Twitter where you can learn more on on Twitter. And also check out WERA.FM for all the other shows that Arlington Independent Media produces. It's a fantastic community radio station here in Arlington, uh, Virginia. So Tamar, in true fashion on this show, we like to end on a good note because this stuff can be depressing. (laughs) (laughs) What is the song that just keeps you in a good mood and
2: Why? so it it changes and my (laughs) current my current jam your current turn up (laughs) my current turn up as you phrase (laughs) i think i did use (laughs) it. so my current turn up um this year we went to carnival in trinidad so there's carnival in a lot of countries i have to admit i've never been to carnival in haiti but my sister wanted to go for her birthday milestone birthday And we went and had the time of our lives. And that's another trade-related thing, which is why I chose this song. One, because it's just a really good song. (laughs) It's such a good turn up, but it's also encouraging. Like, you can do anything. You can do anything, there's no issue, no problem, no whatever challenge that's too great for you because you already have it all. You already have what you need, you already have. I find it so encouraging and so exciting and it's done with such a good beat so it, it really gets me going, and so the song is Hulk. Yay! Hey. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, if you are
1: as you are listening to this song, um, if you're moving in your seat, don't feel bad. It's it's intended to help you stay in a good mood. Uh, the Hulk is a perfect. Considering we just came off of, I just saw Infinity Wars. again, no! So, <laughs> perfect timing. Tomorrow, thank you again for it was my pleasure sharing for your having time me. and your knowledge. And we look forward to seeing more of you around town in these DC streets. <laughs> <laughs> my pleasure. Thank you.
3: But he gave us the strength and the will and the power and the courage to handle our problems through him. So on the count of four, I want everybody step on their problems. One, two, three, four. Drop them, drop them.